We'll be reading from Matthew, the full chapter, 7. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many ways to go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? Even so... Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, 
I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished by his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Will you join me in prayer this morning before we begin? Father, we're grateful for your presence with us here in these next few moments, Lord. I pray you would do your work with your word, accomplish your purpose for which you send it. We're grateful, Lord, that you have a purpose with your word that goes forward. As we hear this morning, may we ask of your Holy Spirit what you would have us to know from your word. We would ask, Lord, that you would apply it to our hearts and our minds, these truths that come from your word. May we then, in applying these truths, Lord, may we, through the power of your Holy Spirit, be given wisdom and discernment and understanding as to how to put into practice these very words that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, that you've given to us this word of truth. May it be our desire to walk in your truth as you called us to walk in this truth. Thank you that you've given to us your prescribed way. As we've been speaking in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we've referred to this as the king's prescribed way. And we are grateful that you have shown us the way. May we walk in that way. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. We come across that phrase on a few different occasions, do we not, in the scripture? Old and New Testament. I pray this morning we would, as we have the word open before us, we would have ears to hear what the Lord would have for us. Coming off last week's text, and just as a side note, We've been working through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're coming to the close uh, here in Matthew chapter 7. Last week we talked about verses 21, 22, and 23 of Matthew 7. Connected one's saying, one's profession, and one's doing. And Jesus continues the thought here in verses 24 through 27, connecting now one's hearing 
and doing. Saying and doing, hearing and doing. The common denominator in both is the doing. The obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ is the key, church. And obedience comes as one abides in Christ and has the spirit of Christ operating in him. The passage we shared last week, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself, we said that that idea has in mind that we are now under obligation to walk as he walked. But he who hears the Lord ought also to walk as he walked. When you speak of your identity, of who you are in Jesus Christ, does it result in a walk like Jesus? When you hear the words of the Lord, does it result in a walk like Jesus? Some of you are saying a walk like Jesus. Is is such a thing possible? I mean, you might immediately be drawn to Matthew chapter 5, And verse 49. Remember at the end of Matthew chapter 5? Some of you might be thinking of that verse and you might immediately get discouraged. Jesus says there, therefore you shall be perfect. Just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Perfect? Really? Perfect. You call me to be perfect. That's the standard. Count me out. I fail the test. Quite often I fail the test. If that's you, if that's where you're at, I want to provide some some hope, some encouragement for you this morning. As some of you are well aware, there are a lot of things going on in this body right now. And I think that where... We currently are here in the text. Provides an opportunity to perhaps speak to where the body is. I believe some of you are walking around, have been walking around, distracted, defeated. Gloomy, feeling on E. You know, that, you know what that gas tank looks like when you're driving and it's getting close to E? It's just about there. It's just about gone. And in your life right now, some of you maybe are feeling that way. Down and out, without life. Joyless. Having arrived at this intersection, kind of as I was thinking through it this week, this intersection of what you say and do, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and what you hear and do, verses 24 through 27. I'm seeing a need for additional biblical reinforcement, if you will. In the areas of Sin and salvation and assurance and discipleship and 
Those are starters, perhaps. I'd like to remind you and refresh you on what the Word of God says. I believe some have lost sight of what the Word says. So this morning, I would like to, in the time that we have, I'd like to be able to just be an encouragement. And the encouragement is going to come, by and large, from the Word of God. So I want to encourage you to hear what the Word says this morning. We need to remember that the Word says, in Luke 19.10, Jesus says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was what? lost or or mark 217 jesus says those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick i did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance i was reminded of the uh, visit from the angel to joseph in matthew chapter 1 verse 21 the angel says and she will bring forth a son and you shall call him his name jesus for he will save his people from their sins and yes some of you may be thinking well what about the verse in in James that says but whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point he's guilty of all and some of you read that I'm guilty before God I, I just can't take care of this problem Perhaps your eye is on the one sin that besets you right now. The one sin. Let me remind you again from the word that if you are in Christ, that one sin has been cast behind his back, Isaiah 38 verse 17 says. In that same book of Isaiah, chapter 43 verse 25, he says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Please hear that. I will not remember your sins. God says. Listen to what the psalmist has to say about your sins. As far as the east. As from the west. Many of you know this verse. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103, verse 12. That would definitely fall into the category of one of his benefits. Amen? Forget not his benefits. Remember what the Bible says. The Bible says in Galatians 3, verse 19, it, talking about the law in the context, it was added. Why was it added? Because of what? Transgressions. Till what? Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Remember also that same chapter in Galatians 3, a few verses later. The scripture has confined all under sin. For what purpose? Why? That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to all who what? Believe. And if you look at Romans 3, 21 through 23... 
It says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, many of us have heard verse 23 We've heard verse 23. We've heard verse 23. Perhaps it hasn't registered why this is so important. For living the Christian life. All have sinned. All fall short of God's glory. And yet, God took care of this sin problem. Amen. He took care of it. God did that. Some of you are are wallowing and and wondering and and struggling and, and, and distracted and disturbed. Can I just tell you from what the Bible says? God took care of your sin. He took care of it. In his great mercy. What we read about in this Bible. Is one of the greatest. No not one of. The greatest rescues of all time. He made it possible. For sinners to be reconciled unto himself. You remember the passage in Romans. That says while we were what. Yet sinners. Christ died. You remember the passage in Romans. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God did. I I, I was reading that and I just paused it. God did. God did. Sometimes the simplicity of the text can teach us so much if we would just but listen. God did. How did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. In flesh and bones, just like you and me. Let's be clear. He did not come with sin. He came in the form of a human body. He took on flesh. God, man. Well, why did he do this? The text in that same passage in in Romans chapter 8 says, on account of sin. Listen to what he did. He condemned sin in the flesh at the cross. That the righteous requirement of the law, the requirements made by the law, that they might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So you see, what the law could not do, God did. God did. How did he do it? Well, to put it in another biblical phrase, biblical terminology, Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law to what? To redeem those who were under the law, those who were confined in sin, that we might receive, here it is, that we might receive adoption. Some of you in here know what adoption is. Some of you know what that's like. But you see, he 
redeemed us that we might receive adoption as sons. First John 3, verse 5 says, And you know that he was manifested. That's Jesus. He was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Some of you are sitting there and you're saying, well, Steve, there's, there's sin in my life. You, you don't see it perhaps. You see me only on Sundays or in my best moments. Sin's still present in my thoughts. It's still present in my motivation. still present in my words. still present in my actions. I'm dealing with it every day and in the midst of the trials that are before me. It's still there. Paul speaks of in his book in Corinthians about this earthen tent. You know, I read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a wonderful passage about this whole idea of being further clothed and looking forward to this house that God has, this house not built with hands. But church, while we have these earthen tents, there is going to be some sin that remains. However, let's not stop right there. Let's not dwell on that. You see, the issue, I believe, for many comes in the midst of walking out what you say, Matthew chapter 7, what we talked about last week, 21 through 23, What you say you believe. When you sin, let me ask the question. When you sin, does that mean that you just cast out? Does that mean when you sin, you no longer are adopted as sons? Does that become null and void now when you sin? What about John chapter 10, 27, 28? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Listen, there is nothing better than to know that Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, knows you. He says, I know them. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they what? Follow me. But if you look at verse 28, Jesus says, and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Let me read that one more time. And they shall never perish. Perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. It's not going to happen. can't happen. You see, Paul, even in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pending death, he wrote that he was not ashamed of going through that suffering. He was not ashamed. You remember that? In 2 Timothy, it's kind of his swan song. He's about to die. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1... Verse 12, you know, we ask the question in terms of his suffering, how could he write such a thing? 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12 tells us, For I know, he says, I know whom I have believed. Do you know whom you have believed? He says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day, capital D. 
let's not misunderstand. The goal, the goal is not to sin. Amen? That's the goal. The goal goal there is not to sin. We're talking about sin. The hope is that having been saved by grace through faith, having died to sin, you have no desire to live in it any longer. Romans 6, read it. You see, grace, church, is not a license to keep on sinning. But grace is the means by which you walk out what you say you believe. How do we do that? By grace. How are you saved? By grace. Well, how do I do this tomorrow and the next day? By grace. That's how you do it. You see, the grace that saved you is also the grace that daily sustains you and holds you up when you're weary from fighting all the battles in this perverse and wicked generation. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. Taking away my burdens. Setting my spirit free. For the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. First John chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. What Jesus did is big enough, not just for those here, What Jesus did is big enough for the whole world. I want you to see, church, as a prelude to Matthew 7, 24 through 29, that you have an advocate, a parakletos, one who comes alongside you, one who takes up your defense, one who has completely sufficiently atoned for your sins. All of them, past, present, future. Can I say that again? All of them, past, present, future. He's paid for them. Listen to the goodness of that text in 1 John chapter 2. And if anyone sins. If anyone sins. Remember that John, as he's moved by the Spirit in writing, he's already stated a purpose there in verse 1, chapter 2. He says, I write to you so that you may not sin. And then in the very next verse he says, and if anyone sins. So the reader is allowed to look through the lens of what if and see that in the event I do sin, that's not the objective I realize, but if I do sin, there awaits an advocate in Jesus, the one who has already declared Me, not guilty. He has justified me. Treating me as if I never sinned. Because you see, the blood of Jesus now covers me. Church, these are wonderful, wonderful words for us to know, to be assured of. And and these words I'm reading to you are coming from the Bible. 
I'm not making these up. Perhaps you are living your life and you're gripped daily with with the thought of being saved. Saved? Not saved? Am I saved? We talked last week about how the word calls us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, right? 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. The word also says in Romans 8 that the spirit in you bears witness that you are a child of his. The word also identifies as we've been in Matthew chapter 7. We talked about false prophets and how to identify false prophets. And there we see that they are identified by their fruits. But the same could also be true. And same could also be said about a child of God. Is the child of God abiding in the vine of Christ? Because you see in John chapter 15 verse 8. That is an indicator of my disciple. He will bear much fruit and show himself to be my disciple, Jesus says. Fruit bearing, increasing in fruit. It's important that we understand that 1 John was written, the text says in 5.13, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. It was written to you who believe that you may know that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. If you contrast that with the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. You see, the Gospel, I believe, the Gospel of John is putting forward The message of Jesus Christ. The gospel. The good news. And the gospel of John desires for each one who comes across and someone who reads and hears these words that they might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God. And that in believing you may have what? Life in His name. 1 John is written to assure the one who already believes... 1 John is also written, not only as an assurance to the one who believes, but 1 John is also spurring each one on to continue in that which you've believed. Keep on. You can hear John saying it. Go. Keep pressing on. Or to use the biblical words, persevere. Endure. As you might have noticed, we're not, we're not preaching 7, 24 through 29 this morning. We'll get to it, Lord willing, next week. You see, church, this, this life that John's gospel, that John's epistle, this life in the name of Jesus is available to each of you. available for one to believe in this Jesus it's important though it's important 
that you see the connection between your sin and the sinless one who makes your righteousness possible. A sinner is the only one who will ever believe and receive this gift of God in Christ Jesus. You remember the story of the tax collector and the sinner? Remember their stance before God as they prayed? If you've been trying to enter the door some other way other than Christ, you've bought a lie. If you sit here today thinking your moral conduct is enough to get in, you bought a lie. That is not what the Bible teaches. If, however, you know Christ today, you realize, and listen to this, you progressively more so realize this as God continues to sanctify you and draw you unto himself, you realize how ugly, how wretched, how vile that sin really is in your life. You hate it and you desire to turn from it. It bothers you. When you are in Christ... Sin ought to bother you. It ought to. If you're not in Christ and your sin is bothering you, can I just say, from what I know to be true from the Word, that is a ministry of the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin. Listen and obey. As the hymn writer said, let's trust and obey. You see, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, not only is he going to convict you and point you to the very truths of Jesus Christ and point you and turn you away from your sin, he may discipline you for a time as he sees fit. He may rebuke you, perhaps. But listen to this. Any of that is always, always with a view to correct you. That you might walk in righteousness. That you might truly walk as Jesus himself walked. And we can just praise the Lord that he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's why he does it. Not to make you look good or make me look good. He does it for his name's sake. And that same verse in Psalm 23. May very well describe your current situation. The valley of the shadow of death. Keep in mind. In fact, if you want to turn to that, that might be helpful. Keep in mind. Before you look at verse 4. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. By the way, side note, let's not get so glued on one verse that we miss the context in which the verse sits. Because I can say, oh, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. Read 1, 2, and 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me. 
beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you see who the active agent is here? It's our good shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalmist says, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. You see, when he went through the valley, God, his good shepherd, went, was, was there with him. He didn't say, I'll see you on the other end. No, he goes through it with them. I'm thinking of the New Testament. In the New Testament, I'm reminded of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has been given. The promised Holy Spirit has been given to you. And he is going to dwell with you how long? Forever. He is with you. And he goes with you. In the same way what we read about the psalmist. He is with you in the midst of your trial. He is with you in the midst of your messy situation. Is God going to give up on you because of your messy situation? Is that what you think? Is there anything, church, is there anything too difficult for God? Huh? That's right. There isn't. There isn't anything too difficult. He's not gone anywhere. Your situation may not be, I understand, it may not be what you would choose. If you had a list of options, it may not be the one that you would select. But it's the one that you're in right now. And I want you to remember that God is your good shepherd. The Bible says that he leadeth me. He leadeth me. Hold on to that and turn to Deuteronomy with me, please. Deuteronomy chapter 31. This word is so instructive and so helpful. Not just Deuteronomy 31. I'm talking about all the ones we've read to this point. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 31. Listen to this. Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. Remember, Moses, context, getting ready to leave, right? Joshua was about to come on board to lead the people. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. He's old. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. Some of you may need to underline that one. The Lord God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them, as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites in their land, when he destroyed them. Verse 5. The Lord will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. Here's verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He is the one who goes with you. Look at the next sentence. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Verse 7. Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage. For you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall cause them to inherit it. Verse 8. And the Lord said, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. 
fears, worries, anxieties, wondering what's going to happen, uncertainties, periods of transition. This church body right now finds themselves in one of those categories, many of you. The word says that the Lord your God goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. See, I, I hope that we don't equate our trials with the loss. I go through a trial, that's a loss of my, my salvation, or that mindset of, oh, I wonder, and we start to wrestle with it when we go through a, a trial. Please don't make the correlation that your trial is your ticket of departure from God. God's not going anywhere. God has already, and we're going to read here in just a moment. We're going to get to it. There's nothing that separates you from the love of Jesus Christ, church, according to what the Bible says. You see, trials, we need to understand something. Trials are common denominators for both the saved and the unsaved, the godly and the righteous, unrighteous. The Bible does not teach that once you are drawn to Christ, your life is going to be free from trials. Nor does the Bible teach that trials serve as a means of separation from the Lord. If that's where you're at, if, if, if that's what you believe, Romans chapter 8, I'm hoping gives some encouragement. Because Romans chapter 8 gives us wonderful bookends at the beginning and at the end. Romans chapter 8 says, now, therefore, now. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Look at the end of Romans 8, please. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There's the question. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, and as though, if there is anything else that I haven't covered, he says, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you are in Christ, there is nothing that can separate you from his love. Nothing. I want you to hear that this morning. There's nothing that can separate you from his love. No trials can separate you from his love. In fact, we need to understand something. Trials are used by God. Trials are used by God to draw you nearer, not to push you away. Can we get that? Can we understand that from the word? This is not, you know, this is not exhaustive, but if you turn, just briefly, turn to James. Many of you know this passage. 
but it's helpful here to read it. Verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all what? What? Joy. I know you know the verse. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that your that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance or perseverance. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. It's interesting, the context here, James is writing to, to the scattered believers, right? As a shepherd in the church may address his, his flock, James, in, in very similar fashion, pastoring. Right out of the gate, he's talking about trials because he understands that they are right now in the midst of trials. And he's saying, count it all joy. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces. That word produces? It's intended to do something. It's not just some meaningless happenstance trial. The trials that come are intended to produce something in us. Something that is going to help us, complete us, shape us, conform us more into the image of Jesus Christ. Isn't that the objective? Isn't that the goal? The biblical word may be sanctification. God uses trials to shape us and to bring us along. Well, what about... Stay, stay there in that part of the Bible in, in 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 1, who according to his abundant mercy, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That, by the way, is what's made all this other possible because of what Christ did. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved, Listen to this. How many of you ever called and booked a hotel? Anybody in here ever done that? Okay, when you call and you say, I'm going to be coming on this day, and they put you down, boom, they got you. And, you know, unless anything changes, they got it down. It's, and they may even email you now with all this fancy technology. They'll shoot you an email, and it says, you are reserved. You're going to be right here on this date at this time. Here's check-in time. And they've got a room for you. They might say, now, if you're going to be late, Make sure you call me and, and, and we'll, we'll make sure that it's, it's still there for you. We won't, we won't give it away. The analogy falls short perhaps right there. But the reservation is there. When you make the reservation. I, I love this, verse 4. This inheritance, it's incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Remember John 14? John 14, Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place for you. And then when he comes back, he's going to take you so that he might, you might be with him. He's got a place reserved for you. Listen to verse 5. Who are kept by the power. How are you kept? By the power of God. Through faith. For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Let me just say this. In this we ought to greatly rejoice even yet today. Keep reading. Though now, okay, though now, for a little while, 
for a little while. That's all it is, truly. A little while. Our life, the Bible says, we're just but a mist. We're a vapor. We're here for a while and we're gone. For a little while, if need be, if need be, you have been grieved by various what? Trials. There's a purpose. Listen to this next verse. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Church, that is such good news. And you know what? When I understand what the Bible says about this, about my trials for a little while, I, 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 it's a different perspective. It's a different ball game because I am not going to have to do this forever. And even in the midst of it, I can still have joy because my focus, my fixing of my eyes, as the Hebrew writer says, fixing upon Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And I understand what Jesus went through on my behalf. I've not even sniffed that. I've not even come close to that. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, lest you grow weary. Hebrews chapter 12. Oh, church, this is good news. Can I share one more? We're about done. James 1, 1 Peter 1. What about Hebrews 12? Starting verse 5. And you have forgotten. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. As to sons. Remember we talked about earlier about being adopted? Listen to this. My son, do not despise the chastening or discipline of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers... Then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But listen to our Heavenly Father. Listen to this. But he, for our profit, for our profit, discipline. I know it's hard, but let's try and reconcile it. Discipline, chastening, for our profit. That we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. Any of you young people can attest to that? Huh? Yeah. I can remember 
I remember a time or two, I had a narrow hallway in my house. It was a little ranch house. And I remember when Dad came home, uh, uh, uh. I got in trouble. And I remember I had to walk down that narrow hallway. That was the only way back to my room. Dad was there in the hallway. And I tell you, I didn't like what I got. Now, I look back, I praise the Lord for a dad who gave me what I deserved. For a dad who disciplined me. And I can remember very clearly in those moments, I didn't like it. And yes, it was painful. It hurt. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Just as a father trains his children, disciplines his children, there's the Parallel here, and we see that even in a greater way how God the Father in His chasing, in His discipline, His desire, is that we would be partakers of His holiness. This is not some behavior modification. Do it, do it, do it. No, God desires that we would be partakers of His holiness. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Any, any, uh, any hands and knees need to be strengthened here this morning? Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. He desires to do that. And one of the ways he does that is through chastening, through discipline. Church, it's love. It's love. You know, 1 John chapter 3 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. In that same book in 1 John chapter 4, in this the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world. Why? That we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. The highlight of the story is not that we love God. It's that God loved us while we were still in our messy, sinful condition. That's the highlight. That's the amazing Part of the story that in our sin, how could God do that? Behold what manner of love. That we are called children of God. He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I'd like to just conclude by, I'm hoping... Being simple, being clear. What I'd like to conclude with is, I believe, simple. In First John chapter 4, verse 15, the Bible says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Hold that and turn to Romans chapter 10. This is where we're going to conclude. Romans chapter 10. Starting in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, believe in your heart that God has raised Him 
from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17. Just about everybody in here, I believe, probably has heard this verse or knows this verse. I want you to think about it in light of the intersection where we're at in Matthew chapter 7. So then, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Church, I wanted you to see this morning the word of God, to hear what the word of God says, to encourage you at this cross-section, this intersection, if you will, of saying and doing, hearing and doing. Having an understanding, having clarity of what God's word says about your salvation, about the sin that separates you from God, about the assurance of walking with Him, of knowing Him. There are, there are many other passages, no doubt, we could have turned to this morning. But I do pray and hope that some of these were, were helpful, and I pray that you were able to see and the Holy Spirit would apply these passages of Scripture to your heart this morning. We'll get to 24 through 29 next week, Lord willing. For now, I just want to encourage you, each one of you, to walk in obedience to the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love toward us. Thank you for your rich mercy. Thank you for your kindness showed toward us. Father, we read your word and we see very clearly we didn't deserve any of this. That those two, those two words keep coming back to my mind. God did. God did. Father, I pray that we would remember what you did. What you accomplished. Through your son, Jesus. If we are in Christ Jesus, not only have we died with 
Christ. You've been buried with Christ. But your Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that we have now been raised with him for the purpose of walking in newness of life. A life that, according to John chapter 10, your son Jesus came to provide and give and offer abundant life. There is wonderful freedom in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, I pray that those here would hear and receive that message today. That any conviction they may be having, Lord, about where they stand with you and your son Jesus, that today, Lord, they would be able to settle that once and for all to surrender themselves and align themselves and humble themselves under your mighty hand. And the remainder of their days, all of which are ordained by you, they might be able to walk as Jesus Christ himself walked, having been covered by the blood having been clothed in His perfect righteousness, having now been justified, having been adopted, deemed a new creation, labeled salt and light. Oh, Father, may we all together walk power of the Holy Spirit. May we walk together that as one in the body goes through a valley, Lord, that the rest of the body would be there willing and waiting and desirous to come alongside. May there be none who get discouraged in this journey, in this battle. It is a battle. May we take up the armor in the midst of the battle. Thank you, Father, that you've equipped us sufficiently in the Holy Spirit. May we walk in the truths that you've given to us this day, Lord. And I pray that you would just strengthen, that you would encourage, help those who are going through the valley right now, Lord. Give them endurance. Remind them always of your words. May your words be a comfort to them. May they be a reminder to them of who you are, your wonderful character, your wonderful nature, that you are a God who leads them. Thank you. Father, for those words. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.